it was pointed out to me somebody could not see what we got planned down the way next Sunday. Evidently, something went kerfluey with the printer and the announcements were only printed in lemon juice. Did you notice that? Can you see it there? Fifth Sunday next week. I can read that without my glasses. Now if you can't read it in yours, maybe the lemon juice ran out. Maybe you need to go see the doctor. So, according to the schedule, uh, that means we'll have regular church Sunday morning, and then we'll go home and not come back. Well, that's what some people might do, but what are the spiritual people going to do? They're going to eat, right? And then we'll have a second service. And then, isn't that when the Super Bowl is or something? Oh. You, you can catch the Super Bowl next Sunday. What a deal. Didn't work out quite that way. Well, let's just plan for that. I got a memo to the preacher, and he's planning to preach in the afternoon after we eat. So Now, if, you, if you'd rather not eat here, Feel free to fast. I want to call it fast because it never does seem to go quickly, does it? Well, what are we looking at tonight? From the book of the Psalms. Which book are we in? I'm not sure if it's 31 or 32, but somewhere in there. It's 33. You know, I've got to be careful correcting people. Three weeks ago, Sunday morning, I was preaching on a new preacher. And I looked at my notes and I saw a passage in Galatians. And I turned to it. And if you remember that morning, I said, oh, I don't know why I put that in. That's, well, I work in fruit because it really did speak about a new creature. So I was going to say something that night because I didn't catch it because I checked it that afternoon. And then Jeremy got me the disc. I played it. And said, I sure did say I was wrong. But I was wrong in saying I was wrong. I was really right. So I said, I got to fix that. But that didn't happen. And so... The next Sunday, it was Sunday night, and we got around to talking about a passage in the New Testament where Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I said, Where's that found? What's the address? And somebody, I think you, said Philippians 121. And I was, I had that thing in Galatians on my mind. No, no. So I, I corrected you. Nobody called me down on that. Somebody else, I think, said 2 Timothy. No, no. It's G -G -G Galatians. And so, I play the thing back. Why can't this preacher get it right? So, I was bound to determine that last Sunday... I was going to set the record straight. And some of you got sick, and I joined you, and we didn't have church. So, better late than never. Yes, sir. What was the offering? Yes, which book we're in? We're in book one. We're in the first book. Not book 33. No, there aren't five books. We can't be book 33. But it's Psalm 33. Book number one. 
How many songs are in the first book? Chapter 33. I'll give you a hint. Next time you watch Ben Hurt. You watch Ben Hurt? Judah Ben Hurt, played by Ben. Not Ben. Charleston. Charlton Heston. He's rowing away. Go at it. Number 41. Psalm 33. Let's read all 22 verses. Now, you want to see something kind of spooky? If we read the 33rd Psalm, 33 over 150. That reduces to 11 over 50, right? You can do the math. 11 over 50, so that would make 22%. So this puts us 22% of the way through the Psalms, and they just happen to be 22 verses. Ain't that a hoot? And also 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And Psalms was originally written in Hebrew. All right, well, let's read. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. You know what that means? If you're saved, you ought to praise God. You ought to praise God. Well, I don't feel like it. You ought to praise God. Praise the Lord with harp. Isn't that a musical instrument? Some people say, well, we're New Testament Christians. We, we don't... Uh, we don't do this. We don't do that. Well, I don't know. Sing unto him with the psaltery. That was another musical instrument. And an instrument of ten strings. So I know that's an instrument too. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Is it okay to be loud in church? Amen. What about when you sing? Should the instruments drown you out? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Well, let's keep going. Verse number four, by the way, is a verse that kind of ties the whole psalm together. I would call this the thesis statement of the psalm. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. There's a preacher's dream. It's already broken down for you. You know, preachers like to alliterate. Start with the same letter, you know. So the word of the Lord is right, and his works are done in truth. So you have two points coming up. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. He didn't send off a kick. He just spoke. And it was so. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You know what that means? We think about what God has done and we don't say, Oh, that's nothing. No, we say, Wow! Can you imagine? It's beyond my capacity to understand. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. That's this much. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That would go a little bit with the one you read this morning for devotion, brother. And the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all 
the inhabitants of the earth. See, he inhabits <coughs> We inhabit earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Some men would be judged only by their words, not their deeds. There's a lot of reasons for that, but I think one of them is because talk is cheap. You ever get around the guy? It used to be a guy in the barber shop there in Benton. I'll tell you what, he he had done more things and been to more places and knew more folks. He was Mr. Wonderful. If you ever doubt, just, just ask him. And before that, years, years, years ago, I used to room with a fellow who caught the world's record rock. Five pounds, three ounces. And he wasn't shy about that. He had it mounted on a board. It was his claim to fame. Last time I checked, it's still in the books. His name was Fred L. Bright. Caught it in 1957, Eden Reservoir. And uh, Mr. Fred was a character. He found how people paid attention when he talked. And he would spin his yarns. And trust me, he could really spin the yarn. I started telling Marsha some of these things. I was living in Memphis and she was down Shreveport Way. I said, you gotta meet this guy in the morning. I don't think I wanna meet this guy. But uh, talk can be cheap. The Latins had a saying that translated in English was deeds, not words. Our God doesn't just talk. When he talks, things happen. There's a word that we use. It's from the Latin fiat. has nothing to do with a sports car. Fiat means to speak it into existence. The president says, I, I think we need a law. Well, you can't really make the law, Mr. President. That's the legislative branch. No, but I can make a presidential agreement here and so he writes it down on a piece of paper and he signs it and it is so mandated by just speaking it or in this case writing it now I tell you everything concerning our God is holy it's good however it is that he displays himself we see that many times in scripture his words are said to be tested. That means they're tried. They're refined. They are pure. And they are useful. And when it comes to his works, God is known by his works. Y'all like color? I see some blues. I see some reds. Now, before I married and got a fashion designer in the deal, I heard a fellow talking and he says, you know, folks, I don't know how to match colors up. But I found out that gray goes with everything. So I buy gray suits. And I just gray this and gray that. So I came home and I spoke to my intended. I think I'm going to get a gray suit. And I wear gray shirts and gray ties. That way, nothing will clash. She says, no, I'll, I'll take care of that. So, I knew she was a keeper. I knew it already. 
But look what God has done. We have blues, we have yellows, we have greens, and not just one blue. You're talking a paint department. I went in once, I said, I want some paint. What color? I want white. What color white? What kind of, I want white. Well, we got antique white, boat white, this kind. No, I want white white. Well, oh, sir, there's no white white. There's all kinds of white. There's all kinds of blue. All kinds of red. All kinds of green. Now, I, I'm not sure I can tell the difference between blue, green, and blue, green, blue. Turquoise, aquamarine, and all of those. It's kind of a bluey, it's kind of a greeny, but uh, okay. But God was pleased to create a world with colors. When Mr. Disney came out with this wonderful world of color on ABC TV back in the 60s, I suppose, they had one of his little cartoon characters sing about all the lovely colors. And then he says, now for all you folks out there that only have black and white, let me tell you, we call this the wonderful world of color. But you know what? What this program is for you is black and white and many shades of gray. Well, but God was pleased to make color. He could have made everything gray. The sunset was gray. The sunrise was gray. We would have blue birds and red birds and yellow birds. We just have gray birds. Dark gray, light gray, I don't know. But God was able, with great creativity, you see, like I said, uh, verse 4 kind of ties it all up. For the word of the Lord is right. All his works are done in truth. So let's think a little bit about his words. God's words are pure. God's words are perfect. He has just the right way to say a thing. Now, if God left it up to humans to talk about the process whereby we go from unsaved to saved, what kind of choices would men come up with? Some would say, well, let's say they, they made a decision. They made a commitment. They changed their mind. They had an experience. They, and then they might have different ways of putting it. But when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he didn't exaggerate. He said, you must be born again. You might be able to change your mind about something. But the Lord didn't say, now Nick, you need to change your mind. He didn't say, you need to be convinced of this proposition. He said, you need to be born again. Well, the natural man balks at that because what can you do to get yourself born? Well, I can, uh, I can, I can maybe uh, get a haircut. I could get my nails done. I could I could get a tattoo or or have a surgery done. I could have this done. I could have the but how do you gonna get some born? That's not something you can do. That requires something outside of and greater than you. But the words of the Lord aren't just things that are heard, they carry power. In John 11, Jesus stood outside the grave of a man named Lazarus. And after four days, Jesus didn't get a crowbar. He said, roll the stone. And they rolled the stone. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. If you feel like it. When you get a notion to if you can get up the gumption, if we get a doctor's team in here, if we can maybe give him some CPR or, or maybe some magic or, or maybe if he just has a, a positive mental attitude, he can come forth. No, he won't. But when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Guess what? 
even though he was still tied up like a mummy. He came forth bound. And the Lord said, loose him and let him get him out of those winding sheets. Those death rags. He's not dead anymore. Loose him and let him go. Now, you might think I'm a fanatic. But I suspect if there were any other bodies in that tomb, and many times there were, had he not said Lazarus come forth, if he just said come forth, we might have seen 37 people come out of that grave. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I do know that at the crucifixion of Jesus, many came forth from the tombs and came back into the city. Those who had recently passed away. So, when the Lord speaks, it has power. It creates results. The creative power of our great God. You look in the book of Genesis, and what did God do? In six days, he spoke, and all the, everything you see, everything that you can experience in this material world, it had its beginning there in Genesis chapter 1. At the end of the sixth day, he pronounced it good. And that was the end. He did it in six days. Not six gazillion years. In six days. Now, could he have done it all at once? I don't doubt for a moment. He had that power, but he did not have that pleasure. And what the Lord wants to happen is what happens. We need to know that that's so. This is our great God. So that's why we read about that. For example, verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. He went on a FedEx truck to deliver him a prepaid make-a-universe hit or anything. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And then again it says, For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. There was a king in one of the Scandinavian countries. I forget if it was Sweden, Norway, Denmark, or even Finland. But his name was Knut. And they talked about Knut like he was quite a guy. And somebody started talking about Knut like he had so much power. They said, why? He could command the tide and the tide wouldn't come in. He said, don't go there. Don't say that. that that's, that's foolish. But, you know, once talk gets started, sometimes it's Kind of hard to get it stopped. And so he says, have a chair brought down to the surf. And they put a chair right there at the edge of the surf. And Canute went and sat in that chair. And he just waited. And the tide came in. And he started digging out under the legs of the chair. And after a while he said, okay, we, we need to get you to move. We need to move that chair. The tide's coming in. Oh, but I thought you said I had the word to stop even the tide. Well, talk is cheap for folks, but not with the Lord. When the Lord speaks, all he need do is to speak the word, and it is so. God's words have creative power, and God's words have continuous power. God didn't stutter. God didn't have to recharge. And as a kid, he used to watch Ed Sullivan. On the Ed Sullivan show, we have a guy who he come out with a plate and a flexible stick. And he put the plate up here and he put the stick and, and the plate is spinning around. I could probably get away with that. But he gets another one. He gets number two more. Goes back, kind of helps number one. But he has to go back, help number one, he gets number two. Pretty soon he's got number three going. And he's got number four. And he's constantly, but I think he had a dozen of these plates going all at the same time. He was one busy fellow. 
Try to keep all these plates going. Now, I'm sure he rehearsed that and all of that. But uh, that's not the way. God doesn't have to come down and recreate species. He put the seed in the plant. He put the seed in the animal. He put the seed in folks. And that's how it is that all living things today have descended from things that once existed long ago. It's generation after generation after generation. And so we might see species die out, but we won't see new ones coming in because they can only come by the creative power of our great God. Continuous power. It says in verse 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. God never has to revise what he says. God never has to, to oof it up, so to speak, in the need of a booster to it or a continuation. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. In 2 Peter 3, 7, it says, the worlds that now exist are kept in store by the power of God. What he did doesn't fade away. What he did doesn't dry up and die on the vine. No, they have stood fast, as we saw in verse 9. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, it tells us he is before all things. Jesus Christ, the great creator, he spoke things into existence and they exist. All things were made by him, John 1 says, and without him was not anything made that was made. Mm -hmm. No scientist in a laboratory has created life. There's a whole preacher. Do you think maybe someday they will? No, they're not God. They might manipulate this. They might do something else, but they're not, they're not creators. They have to work with pre-existing material. And so Colossians 1 tells us, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Do you know what holds your body together? So, well, look at skin. Well, who made the skin? I have these, these organs, and I have blood pumping through my body. The whole thing's going. And who designed that? And who keeps it going? Every breath you and I take, we take because God created and God ordained that it would keep going. You're not going to take one more breath than God has not ordained that you take. Did you know that? Some people, I'll live as long as I want. Oh, no. Oh, no. One of our Dear people, and Benton said, I was watching this TV preacher. I said, I might have been your friend of the state. And he said, some people say that God picks the day that you're going to die. Now, if he just said that, not so bad. But no, you pick the day you die. Really? I put that right up there with that lady preacher who wrote a book. God is not angry with you. God is not mad at you. Well, then what, why does it say in the Psalms, God is angry with the wicked every day? <coughs> it, it would help if you want to read the Bible before you write a book, supposedly, about the Bible there. By Him, all things consist. Things keep operating Things just keep on going. And what about man? <clears throat> Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. And we talked about that not too, too long ago, folks. But uh, look at the next verse in that chapter. Numbers 23. I just cited... Chapter, uh, verse 19 but look at verse 20 when it comes to God he's the one 
Behold, this is uh, Balaam speaking, I have received commandment to bless, and he, that is God, hath blessed it, and I cannot reverse it. If God does a thing, you're not going to undo it. God is the one who opens the door, no man can close it. God is the one who closes the door, no man can open it. Because he's God. And men only play God when they suppose that they can accomplish what only God is doing and is pleased to do. So man cannot reverse it. Isaiah tells us man cannot annul it. Job tells us he cannot thwart it. That's what God was talking to. Job. Well, let me just show you that. Last chapter of Job. Chapter 42. Job. You see, Job was pretty good. A lot of stuff. But he didn't know as much as the Lord. And I'm sure if we had Mr. Job standing right here, he'd say, absolutely. I don't know as much as the Lord. But the Lord lays down the law. And let's even Job know just where he is and how things stand. Look at verse 2. I know that thou canst do everything. And humans think, well, I don't know about that. You know what? What you're going to do, God knows what you're going to do. What you're going to say, God knows what you're going to say. What you're going to think, even before you think it, God knows you're going to think it. That's what he's saying here in verse 2. I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholding from thee. You know, they came up with the comic books. They came up with Superman. And he could do all these wonderful things. They said, you know, it's going to be a no-brainer. In order to have some kind of challenge going on, uh, we have to give him some limitations. He could see through a mile of solid stone. But if there's some lead, he can't see through lead. So the bad guys can hide from old Superman. And if they get some kryptonite, that can mess him up. That can confuse him or kill him or whatever color the kryptonite. I don't have gray kryptonite that I can hear. Um, but they have to come up with something. But there's no kryptonite that's going to mess up God. There's no lead shield you can hide behind and God won't see. You can go into your basement if you have one. Or climb up in a tree if you have one in your orchard. And you think, nobody else will find me here. Maybe no human will. Maybe not even the government will. But God knows. You don't get anything over on the Lord. I don't either. And the sooner we recognize that in a minute, the, the wiser we'll be. And when men posture. Remember when we studied the second psalm? It talks about how that men, they shake their fist at God. Who do you think you are? Well, I'll show you. God doesn't go, oh, why are we so stupid to that better? Why can't we all just get along? That's not God. It says, he that dwelleth in the heavens shall laugh. Somebody says, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plan. Every time we go to Haywood, I drive by where there used to be a Mexican restaurant. I said, you know, baby, when I was 14, my life's ambition was to be a busboy in that Mexican restaurant. I ain't got there yet. But you see, we think we know what we're going to do. And God knows. God lays things out. And we can resist him to a point as he permits. Psalm 76 that says, Even the wrath of man shall praise him. You shake your fist at God, stick your tongue out at God, and cuss out God. That's only going to happen as long as he's pleased to allow it. He draws a line in the sand. Because the rest of that verse, Psalm 76.10 says, Even the wrath of man shall praise him. So praise God. But are you going to step over that line that he says no? The rest. He holds you off. 
He can cut you off. He can stop you. Somebody says, what about the unpardonable sin? Well, if let's assume there's an unpardonable sin, and God who knows all things and has all power and all resources, and if, let's just assume there is, you know, if you bop, 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 then that means you lose your salvation, and God knows you were going to bop, 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 so couldn't you change your mind? Or give you a broken leg or something else? I think God has a lot of ways to change what your plans and purposes are. So what we read of in this psalm about his words, I've tried to summarize. Let's think a little bit about his works. Generally, over creation, you know what God does with the land, with the air, with the sea? Whatever he's pleased to do. Some people don't like to hear that. Some people go, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And they get to the point where they're basically worshiping the earth. No, we're not supposed to worship the earth. We're to have dominion over it. We're to be wise stewards over it, yes. But the earth is not our creator. The earth is not our savior. And the seas as well. Not long ago, Marsh and I had a radio going and we heard that song that some of us can remember. The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Goes on about these folks up in the, one of the Great Lakes and they were hauling iron and a storm came up and all souls were lost. Sunk to the bottom of an icy grave at one of those lakes. We have to remember that. The Navy hymn is Eternal Father, strong to save. And one of those verses is specifically targeted to the sailors who were out there. And those storms are going and the wind is blowing. I think I told you before, when you're on a ship, it can... Well, let me illustrate it this way. Here's your ship. And it can dip. Rise while it's out there in the water. And it can also up and down. And it can also roll back and forth. That's why they talk about people getting seasick. You can move not one, not two, but three different ways at the same time. I know why some people I'm not going to sea. Hey, if I'm in the army and a jeep breaks down, I could walk off. There's no thumb and a ride when you're out in the middle of the Pacific someplace. Your ship goes up. That's why they practice damage control. They do everything they can to keep that boat afloat. Look at verse 7. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. Well, how would God do that? That's his business. Just like Mr. Moses led the Hebrews right up to the edge of the Red Sea. And what did the Lord do? He caused the waters to form a wall on either side. Now, if you had a big pump and pump the water out of a body of water, there's probably still going to be a lot of mud. But God caused it to be dry land. And they passed through on dry land. All God had to do when the Hebrews were through and the Egyptians had said, we're going to do that too. <coughs> All God had to do was say, angels, the miracle is over. <laughs> now, and kaflui. The waters crashed in and it destroyed those men in the chariots. Smashed the chariots to smithereens. Killed the horses. I tell that to my fifth and sixth graders when I was teaching elementary. Typically one of the girls would say, oh, poor horse. But it's true. God controls all these things. He can cause the waters to gather together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. What has God stored away at the bottom of the ocean? It took men a long time to find the Titanic. 
and to find other things, the remains of, what was it, the, uh, the fresher, I think it was, a sub that they lost in the 60s. The sea has its treasures. It has these things that are down there at the bottom. But he lays up the depth in storehouses. And by the way, not only did he do that in the days of Moses, but the next generation when Joshua led them to the river, you know what? It was all over again. God caused the waters of the Jordan. Maybe not as large a body of water, but it still took divine power. Yes, indeed. So over creation, God is able to speak and things are done. His words and His works, they are glorious. But specifically over the works of men. We men sometimes, they, they put up a bridge. I looked at the latest National Geographic. It's all about how that they, it took hundreds of years to build uh, that big cathedral of Notre Dame there in Paris. And a fire, I think it was 2019, took out so much of it. And so they're planning, and it's even with modern equipment, it's going to take a while to try to restore to try to replace some of those things. But God's power to preserve. Verse 5 says, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Anywhere you go, there is something about this creation that affirms the goodness of the Lord. You might not like it. You might say, Well, I'd rather be in Honolulu than Tucumcari, New Mexico. Maybe so, but there's a beauty even to Tucumcari. You might not see it, but God put it there. And uh, maybe not a whole lot of folks would live in Tucumcari, but God has done these great things. And look at verse 10. Because men have their plans, men have their purposes, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. Just suppose God let everybody get away with all the meanness, all the thievery, all the skullduggery, all the wickedness that they cook up in their hearts and they talk about and they have their plans and their purposes. The Lord brings it all down to nothing. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. There was a man who hated the Jews in the days of Esther. And it tells us about this man. He hated the Jews. And in particular, he hated Mordecai. He was a Jew, and the king liked him. And he didn't like any of the Jews. He really didn't like Mordecai. And he was grousing about how, how he just he couldn't be happy as long as Mordecai was breathing. And his wife and buddies said, well, why don't you just build a gallows so I could hang him? Get rid of him! You're not the fool with that guy. And so, to his way of thinking, the good news is he did get the gallows built. But God has an interesting way of turning events around. Mordecai survived Haman. In fact, the gallows which Haman had built, great expense, I would imagine, great effort, great expectations, and what happened? Haman was himself hanged on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Look at verse 15. It tells us, He fashioneth their hearts alike, talking about folks, he considereth all their works. I really don't know that God gets as impressed with what we do as we might. You know, man gets out there and he does such and such, he builds something, or he is able to accomplish some feat. I remember as a kid seeing old Mark Spitz, he came back from the Olympics and he had seven gold medals. Woo! Really something. 
I don't think God said, well, be still my heart. I think that really impresses me. Now, we get excited about stuff like that. So-and-so got a trophy. Uh, I, I'm told that, uh, you know, they have these big games that they play, you know, the sports and all. And uh, some people, they'll even, they'll bet big chunks of change. And they have a lot of bragging rights over this, that, and the other. I don't, and some people might stone me for saying this. I don't think the Lord's got a pen up there. Go Razorback. Or go Chicago Bears. He doesn't even say go Oakland A's or Oakland Raiders. Oh, that's right. They're not in Oakland anymore. They were and they weren't. And then they were and they're not again or so I'm told. I, I don't spend a whole lot of time paying attention to that stuff. But uh, I don't know that God says that's that's going to go on the, the Hall of Ages. Go up there. We talk about things like that. But he considers the works of men. But what does he look upon? Who does he have his eye upon? I think you know. But you have scripture to see it. Verses 13 and 14. The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. Somebody's watching you. And I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about God. He sees you. Now, uh, seems to me somebody was singing last month about He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees when you're awake. He sees you when you're bad or good. And so be good for goodness sake. Now, we're not talking about a make-believe character. We're talking about God. You can't be where God is not. You can't think what God doesn't know you're going to think, like Al York used to say. His eye is on the righteous. Drop down to 18 and 19. Behold, <coughs> pardon me, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him. And when it speaks of the eye of the Lord in that way, I'm satisfied He's talking about it's an approving eye. It's a watchful eye. It's a providing eye. He's not, oh, he just fell down. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. That's not God talking. The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Short of the Lord's return, we're all going to die. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But it doesn't deny the fact that short of the Lord's return, we're all going to die. The Lord knows where we'll be, how old we'll be. He knows what we'll have accomplished and what we'll have not accomplished. All of that, he knows already. He's not telling us, but that's his business. We see that time and time again. So, just what we have asserted in this psalm, if we had nothing else, and these thoughts come out all through the Bible, folks, not just in Psalm 33. It makes perfect sense. It behooves us to rejoice in the Lord. Do you see how the psalm began? Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. God is good. All the time. Let's try that again. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. You believe that? Amen. You better, because it's true. Are you shy about it? I mean, if you're shy about saying it in the church house on a Sunday night, I mean, we should say that with our lives. You say, well, what day? Well, if it ends in a Y, that's the day to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul wrote to the Philippians. And again I say, rejoice. We've got something to be excited about. We've got something to rejoice in. Well, in another song, we'll see. 
Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor thy righteous cause. Are you glad that God is on the throne? I sure hope you are. You sure ought to be glad. I'm glad the devil's not on the throne. I'm glad Washington isn't on the throne. I'm glad Little Rock's not on the throne. I'm glad that God is on the throne. Because God is good. He didn't stop being good in the last 20 seconds? No, all the time. God is good. And the more we read a passage like this and we find it underscore <coughs> our helplessness, it should just cause us to throw ourselves on Him. Look at the last three verses as we close this psalm and this message. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. I'm your preacher, but I'm not your help. I'm your preacher, but I'm not your shield. I'm not your conscience. God and God alone. I don't want to take God's job. I don't want to take His place. He is a jealous God. He doesn't ask my help. We were reminded about a man who passed away and he lived as an engineer and bless his heart gentleman trying to say something wonderful about the fellow said you know in John 14 it says in my father's house are many mansions now that so and so is up there he's probably helping him build those mansions nobody has the smarts to counsel the Lord, to give him a pointer, to join the team, so to speak. That's just aggrandizing humans, glorifying man. That's not what we're about. For our hearts shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. That means when you're at the end of your rope and you have no hope in yourself, in your family, your friends, your fortunes, the familiar, everything you can imagine, anything that you might hope about this world, this world isn't eternal. The resources that we have right now, they're here today, Bob, and you can lose your mind. You can lose your memory. You could lose the ability to use your hands or your feet. You could lose your equilibrium, have to lay flat on your back in bed the rest of your life. I'm not saying I hope those things happen, but we just need to admit how frail we humans are. But God is not frail, and God's will will take place. And we need to rejoice knowing that He is our portion forever. Let's stand.